Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. My guests today are Evan Lesser, president of Clearance Jobs, and Jill Hamilton, senior editor at Clearance Jobs. Uh, Hey guys, thanks for joining me. Happy to be with you. Thanks for having us here. Absolutely. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about your new compensation survey, the Clearance Jobs 2023 compensation survey. A lot of really interesting findings in there for folks who have security clearances or maybe folks who are considering a career that uh, needs security clearance. And so just to start things out, I'd love if you guys could kind of explain the top line findings from the report. What's the what's the big story here in 2023? Yeah, so we survey uh, the cleared community every every year. So this is our annual survey. There's over 50,000 respondents and um, who initially entered the survey. And the big news this year is that cleared compensation is up by 7%. It's the average total compensation pulling the overall industry. So it's all the different jobs, it's all the agencies, the overall um, compensation number is 108,611 for this past year, which is a really big increase um, for the clear community. A lot of bonuses, a lot of increases for for clear candidates this past year. It just was like a, call it the year of upward trends where, you know, inflation's up, you know, the cost of buying eggs is even up, you know, (laughs) like everything costs more. There's a lot more pressure. And employers responded with a big compensation bump for the community. So it was great to see. Got it. Yeah. You, you know, I think folks are obviously paying more for groceries. So it's it's definitely great to see that, <laughs> that uh, big percentage bump. And I, I'm wondering, you know, what is the average cleared candidate look like these days? I, I think that's that's helpful for folks to, to know as well who we're talking about. Yeah, I think it depends upon obviously the industry, but we based it on, there's a profile we put, it's kind of a profile, but it's the, it's the top averages that you're typically going to see. You know, you see the highest average is top secret SCIs for, I think it's 46% or it's always right around there. Like there predominantly, that's what we have. We have a lot of respondents in that, in that category, male dominant, you know, predominantly, like there's a lot of the higher, highest percentage of males who are in front of the respondent pool. And just kind of going back through some of those averages, most of them have a bachelor's degree. A lot of people in the clear community support the Department of Defense. So that is your, that's a big bucket there when you look out and you're getting people responding to a job, a lot of them will have a DOD security clearance. Like that's a lot of the pools. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get that overall mix all together, but you do see a lot of those top line numbers like those that that is where the higher averages are. The only other thing I can add to that is that the vast majority of candidates are in tech, probably, you know, roughly, you know, 70 odd percent, not to discount the other roughly 30 percent. But, you know, as you know, with clearances, you can have anything from tech and engineering, to training, to logistics, to intel, sales and marketing, healthcare, you know, HVAC, anything you can think of, you're going to have someone with the security clearance that's doing that work. So the the survey we we put out, we typically try to get, as Jill said, you know, roughly 50,000 responses. I think for most surveys, people would think, oh, 50,000, that's way overkill. But 
considering there's so many candidates from so many different backgrounds, so many different locations, not just U.S., but across the globe, we really try to get as many candidates as possible so we can get a good representation of uh, uh, kind of a cross-section uh, of the clear community. You started talking about the different career fields, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously, it pays to be uh, you know, in engineering systems and some of the different aspects of, of IT, a lot of the different aspects of IT in management, of course, you know, what are the trends that we're seeing in terms of how you're paid by career fields uh, in a clear position? So I do know that tech and engineering are going to typically get some of the higher pay. When you look at tech specifically, cybersecurity is right at the top. Software development is right at the top. And, and a lot of that just has to do with the scarcity of talent. There's just not enough skilled security cleared software developers and cybersecurity professionals out there. So they typically get the higher pay. Obviously, when you look at higher level clearances and then you add on a polygraph, you're going to be looking at the highest paid folks out there. Right behind tech, you typically find engineering, systems engineering is, is highly paid as well. Sales professionals were towards the top of our list this year as well. And I think that really speaks to, I would say, the government budget more than anything, the, the DOD budget for 2023 is a record high, you know, at, at over 800 billion. And companies are doing what they can to try to get a piece of, of that pie. So sales professionals with clearance in government are, are really uh, towards the top of the list as well. Jill, you, you may note some others that were towards the top of the list, but I know that tech, engineering and sales were right at the top. Yeah, I mean, we've seen data science add to the, the top five list in the past four to five years. That's been one that's been added as one of the front runners. But I mean, even if you think about it, I mean, despite all the layoffs in the tech industry, I mean, there's still a shortage of workers out there and there's a, still a lot of roles out there. It's not different in national security. But you also think, you know, tech workers, a lot of them, I mean, uh, some of that's changing with skills over degrees shift that we see even in the federal government. But a lot of them have at least one, if not two degrees, they have certification, they have different aspects on their resumes that they put the time, money and effort into. So yeah, so compensation does follow with some of those different careers, whether it's in engineering or it's in tech fields, there's there's a lot that's gone into building that compensation number as well. Yeah, and I think you're seeing some agencies try to t take advantage of those layoffs in the tech field by reaching out to those folks who are maybe working in uh, companies in Silicon Valley and seeing if they want to, mm -hmm. you know, sign up for a career in government. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over the next year as well. One interesting data point that I, I just looking at is that linguists was one of the few career fields that actually reported they had a percentage decrease in average total compensation. Any idea behind? Uh, what's driving that? I, I always assume that's a pretty highly sought after skill, and uh, especially in the intelligence community. Linguists are, are they're, they're highly sought after and highly specialized. I wouldn't say that they're paid incredibly well, but I don't think there's a whole lot to read into it. Geopolitically, there's still plenty of need for, for linguists with clearance, uh, perhaps even more now than five or six years ago. It's a constant need for sure, but I'm not sure if I'd read too much into them getting paid less in the past year than they did previously. They're, they're just not a incredibly well-paid group of people, which is unfortunate for being so highly skilled. Mm -hmm. 
The only thing that I would say would come up with just the pull from Afghanistan and people coming more stateside, we did see a decrease um, the prior year in respondents who had previously been abroad and now are back um, in the, the U.S. So our um, Afghanistan or anybody in that location in that area had decreased, which also would just add, you get you know extra pay for being abroad often in different regions. And so sometimes that can be a factor in um, just where they're located, you know, because location yeah. matters, you know, that's a key piece of your compensation. Yeah. And, and we look at danger pay as being part of total compensation. Mm -hmm. So Jill's, Jill's completely right that that could be part of it is the shift of workers away from Afghanistan back to the U.S. and losing that danger pay could have an impact on compensation. Got it. That that makes sense. I mean, I was I was wondering if it had anything to do with kind of the uh, broader rebalancing that you're seeing the national security uh, agencies take away from the Middle East, and obviously shifting attention more toward Asia, but not really um, seeing broad, large scale deployments, military deployments. Thankfully, uh, at this point in Asia, but there's more tension in that region, I guess, right now. But certainly, there isn't okay. that deployment pay or danger pay or anything like that. That's right. One interesting thing here is that security clearance holders are have spread out a bit post-pandemic outside of the, the D.C. region and are still well-paid outside of the D.C. region. Uh, what's, what's going on there? I mean, are we seeing more opportunities for folks to, to work in different states who have a security clearance? I mean, I think, I think we are, but Everything in, I think the national security industry moves in, in tiny, smaller increments. So whereas, you know, right in the immediately after in 2020, you saw the rest of the world immediately go home. I mean, we, you know, people in national security had to go home as well, obviously, but everybody couldn't just move to, you know, whatever state or island that they wanted to live on if they worked in national security. So some of these changes are very, very slow and incremental. What, so what we've seen is over the last three years, even just, just DC itself has decreased just teeny tiny bits by about like 1% each year, where they're still going to have a presence. That's just not going to change. You have the Capitol, you have the White House, you have um, the Pentagon, Pentagon nearby. So it's not like changes, but there is some spreading out where different companies where maybe it was harder for them to get cleared candidates to want to come and move there just because there wasn't as many opportunities. The biggest pull, pull here in the DC region is you can quit one job and start another with a very small lag time in between because the opportunities are just everywhere you look. But now a lot of those opportunities are springing up around the country. So like DC has was 7% of the clear population, but so is Florida. So is Texas. So is California. So you're still going to see the D.C. region. Maybe it's just not as big compared to the rest as a lot of the other regions grow. Alabama's getting a bigger presence. A lot of things moving down there or maybe not. But we'll see what, what happens there. And you just see that with a lot of the different states. And I, I wanted to ask uh, just, uh, you know, D.C. itself represents 7 percent. But then you also have Virginia at 21 percent and Maryland at 9 percent. And that I assume right. that's a big chunk of Northern Virginia, right? And the kind of DC suburbs. Right. So then we die, we kind of double tap on that. And we ask people um, for anybody who's in um, Maryland and Virginia, obviously DC is going to be included in this because <laughs> they're right there in the center, but uh, Maryland, Virginia, how much you spend the majority of your week 
working in the DC metro region, you know, inside the Beltway there. And um, that was 54% of those respondents who selected DC. You know, because obviously Virginia also has Norfolk. There's a lot of other cleared communities within Virginia and Maryland, and that does change compensation because cost of living is a bit different. Commuting looks different. Yeah, and, and remote work has increased. Obviously, not the same as the non-cleared world, but remote work has increased. That may afford a little bit more ability to spread out across the country a bit. Not nearly as much as other industries, but uh, you know, we're at any given day showing roughly four or five thousand jobs on on clearance jobs that have some level of remote work. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's an area where the cleared industry has really had to respond because a lot of employees could find a job now where they can kind of be wherever they want, or at least be in a certain area, but work from home most of the time. And obviously, that's not the case for most people who have to work out of a skiff. So I see you have some recommendations on not just remote work, but how, how employers should kind of respond to, you know, employees who might be a little grumpy about having to commute in every day. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to respond. Uh, it's just the nature of the market. The pandemic truly changed everything. And I think pre-pandemic, if you said as a candidate, I, I'd like to work from home one day a week, you know, the employers would have just laughed and said, well, you're in the wrong industry. But the pandemic truly changed things. And I think it showed that remote work in defense, intelligence, and homeland security is possible, not nearly as much as non-cleared roles, but it is possible and people can be productive and can get get their work done. So yeah, employers have had to respond and uh, it continues to be a a pretty big challenge because candidates are comparing cleared versus non-cleared jobs and some non-cleared jobs, you can work remotely, you know, 80, 90% of the time. So it, it's difficult for employers, but I think they've done a, a great job of rising to the challenge and making concessions where they can. And I think candidates generally understand that they're not going to be able to work from home 80 or 90% of the time. But if they can work from home 20, 25, 30% of the time, that, that's actually a pretty big thing for our industry. Yeah, no, it went up by 7% just in this past year. So again, the national security industry, we make tiny changes and it's slow and incremental. But I think the good thing about that is then you see changes that stick around. So especially now as, you know, out in the public sector, some of those companies who are like, oh, you can work wherever all the time are now like, actually, no, you can't. You need to come back to the office. So I think that's going to level some of the competitive landscape we have with candidates trying to see what their different options are. Some of those options to work remotely 100% or even 90% of the time are starting to shrink a little. I just think companies are, maybe they're less likely to make blanket policies where you can work wherever you want to all the time. And that helps, I think, the national security landscape with what they have to offer too. But I think there's, they've stepped up and I do think you'll, you'll continue to see that sticking around there wherever they can parse out classified work. You know, I've heard from people who, you know, they can hire somebody in Georgia and he only has to fly in, you know, once a month to meet on site with their customer. So wherever you can get creative and be flexible, it's been great to see, I think the national security community respond that way and employers trying to support this whole concept of work-life balance as opposed to whether or not you're home or in the office, it's more about your overall work-life balance. Yeah, it's definitely just become a major priority, obviously, uh, for, for everyone. And uh, 
I think to your point, I mean, 7% increase, not a massive increase in terms of remote or hybrid options, but not, not a rolling back either, which is what I, maybe some people had expected with, with COVID kind of receding a little bit. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still increasing. And then I think you're also seeing national security uh, leaders talk about the need to continue mm-hmm. offering these options. So as you said, slow change is slow in the national security community, but it does happen over time. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see yeah. what happens year over year over the next three or four years with that. Right. Well, I mean, 7% might seem small, but it, it's over 50% of respondents say they have at least some level of remote work, which is huge, <laughs> you know, compared to just three years ago when it was about probably zero two zero two percent We started asking post-pandemic or post-2020, not post-pandemic, you know, but but still, like, it would have been, it's interesting to see just that, that number just grow so much in just the past couple of years. And again, I'm speaking with Evan Lesser, president of Clearance Jobs, and Jill Hamilton, senior editor at Clearance Jobs. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC. I'm your host, Justin Doubleday. I'm speaking with Evan Lesser, president of Clearance Jobs, and Jill Hamilton, senior editor at Clearance Jobs, about their new report, the Clearance Jobs 2023 Compensation Survey. Just on the compensation by career level, what trends are are we seeing there? What kind of opportunities are we seeing? Compensation are we seeing entry level versus more senior, senior level, 10 plus years of experience? One little uh, piece I can throw in on that, and Jill, you probably have more information on this than I do, but I, I do know that employers are more willing to bring someone on at a junior level that has the clearance and is ready to go and, and get them trained and certified if needed um, and get them into the right position, even if they don't have the skills yet, rather than wait for someone who already has the skills to go through the clearance process. The government has made great strides at reducing the time it takes to get an initial new final clearance, but it's still, you know, 100 plus days on average. So if they can find someone with the clearance and get them on board, pay for their training, pay for the certification, get them upskilled, that's actually a, a strategy that a lot of employers, including the government, are doing. Yeah, I think there's a big push to retain, I think, like mid-level talent, not just to get the entry level in, but can you then keep them in? Because you need that level, that experience, especially in national security to to kind of have a, a view of a number of years of like watching the, the dips and the ups and downs and what we're facing as a country, um, no matter what, what uh, area they work in. But one thing, I mean, experience does pay, you know, 
part of being on contracts and having billets or even working for the federal government is they mark compensation a lot by years of experience where you have to have certain um, pieces or credentials in order to meet either billets on a contract or billets inside of working for the federal government. So at, on a whole, uh, the more years you work, obviously, the more you will you will be compensated. But that's for sure in national security, you will see that your compensation going up. But we've seen different ways to kind of like multipliers, if you will, for compensation with adding a master's degree, that can definitely bump you up. And even in the federal government, that adds on what years of experience are like, you can add that on, you know, when you have a master's degree or a doctorate. So that does drive up compensation. And then certifications, especially within the tech industry, some of those you just need just to be able to work in the DOD to be, meet industry standards. And then others can make you stand out from the crowd and um, multiply that compensation dial just to, it gets it there a lot faster. Um, so those are some of the, the different things that you see, but um, I, we def I definitely like to, we definitely like to include the different um, career levels, especially for um, all the different jobs, because that's where you can really compare um, based to, you know, the private, the public sector to say, Hey, they're making this, but we pay, you know, systems engineer with 10 plus years of experience on average this, you know, then you dial in on all the different things on your resume that mean that you should be compensated more. But I think it just helps to see where you compare at the different career levels. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you see this in the, at least in the intelligence community's diversity uh, reports where a lot of folks, they get in and then they kind of, they're, they're around for about five years. And that five-year mark is where you see a lot of attrition, especially for, you know, minority employees, for female employees. So it's interesting to see them kind of trying to bump up the mid-level pay a little bit, maybe for not necessarily for that reason, but maybe that's just one of the reasons. It's a, a kind of a recurring theme, right? With, with agencies trying to keep up with private sector pay. Yeah, Gen Z actually got an 11% increase this past year, you know, just wow. which is great to you know, trying to pull in young talent and get them into the national security space. It's true, you, you have to pay them more to be able to do that, you know, so it was good to see employers responding that way. Em employers would, would surely do well, especially with some threats of a, a potential recession going on right now. Employers in national security would definitely do well to let potential candidates know that this is essentially a recession-proof industry and that the work of national security must go on regardless of politics or pandemic or, or anything else. And um, that job security is something that other industries can't offer. Um, our industry in national security is never gonna be able to pay what non-clear jobs can uh, on average, but we definitely offer job security and it's something employers should really be pushing hard on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, I'm sure that stability is a big, big selling point. And, and, uh, you know, we, as we've discussed, compensation did rise across every agency, but at some more than others. So where does it really pay to work these days in, uh, at, at a cleared agency? Yeah. The numbers will show. And, and I, Jill, I know you can touch on that. Um, you know, I, I can't say right off the bat that the outliers are the intel agencies where you need a full scope polygraph and you're doing really specialized 
work where, you know, there's probably a couple hundred people across the country that could potentially fill a certain job. Those are always going to get the highest pay. You know, we tend to look at averages for quote unquote more normal um, workers. But if you're looking for the highest pay, you're going to be looking at very specialized roles. Intel agencies are always going to pay the most and you're looking at full scope poly positions, but that's kind of a smaller fraction, maybe more fringe kind of case. Yeah, no, I mean, like like Evan said, it's, you know, the DOD clear population is, you know, you have a ton of workforce with security clearances. And so that does kind of level out that average compensation number. So when you dial in and look at like a smaller population, definitely CIA is top year after year, just at their average total compensation is always at the top. And then NSA this past year, gave it 11% raise. And I know they've been off also on a push of even just publicly making push for laid off tech workers apply here. And the, they've been in the news late recently. So they're definitely looking to up their compensation and say, hey, yeah, you have to be here on site. And we are going to thumb up compensation for that is kind of like, at least, you know, that's the, that's the response you can read from the compensation bump that goes up for that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that push pays off. You guys do a really interesting correlation here between salary, which we've been talking a lot about, and just job satisfaction. What do you think is kind of the the takeaway here in terms of you know how salary plays into that overall job satisfaction and what is important to cleared workers in that regard? Yeah, I mean, salary is surely important. And this survey is based on salary and compensation, but there, there's more to it than that. We do find in general that younger workers have a, a keen focus on work-life balance and culture at the agency or the contracting company they're working at. Uh, they're also very interested in uh, the reputation of the employer. They want to work for a company that's known, maybe not super known, but established, we'll, we'll say. So younger workers definitely have that focus. Older workers tend to focus a little bit more on compensation and and advancement. Those are generalizations, but based on some some previous surveys that we've done. Yeah, just to to piggyback on that, we did also ask our respondents this year, like what makes them want to work in national security? And the biggest thing, that number one reason, 57% responded, it was a desire to protect and strengthen the country compensation was 51% saying that. So, you know, when they had to rank that, that one came in as the top thing that everybody's going to pick first. Yeah, we want, we want good compensation to come along with that. But it's the mission that drives us here. And, you know, as Evan's saying, it's that there's that work-life balance for sure. That's super important. You see that in people not letting off the gas on want pushing for remote work. But there's also, we still want what's best for our country. And you see that, uh, especially in the IC, where we're willing to come in when the rest of the country can work wherever they want to, but we're willing to support the mission. And I do think agencies and employers are, you know, the more they respond to that and say, let's look at different ways to make your life, your work-life balance better. Let's look at different ways to compensate you more and also push like, this is the mission, you know, like you really have to push that. And also, like Evan said too, the stability factor isn't to be ignored either. I think that's a really key messaging factor in driving satisfaction this next year, stable jobs. (laughs) And, you know, that's already compensating really decent compensation with a good mission and stability. The place to be is in national security, actually. 
Yeah, and, and the whole understanding from candidates that they, they want a mission, they're, they're interested in helping national security, that, that sense of patriotism doesn't necessarily touch on everybody. Some people gravitate towards that and other people don't, but that's one of the great things that an employer can do is to really talk about the mission, talk about improving national security and, and hit on the patriotic angle. And for the people that appeals to, they'll latch onto it and it's really important to them. But some people gravitate towards it, some people don't, and that's okay. Got it. Yeah, that's that's great context here. I mean, given all, all that we've discussed today, um, obviously a, a steep upward trend in salary over the last year. What are you guys watching in 2023 here going forward? What are some of the the trends that you'll be interested, the data that you'll be interested to see where it goes? So it, it's a tough market right now for employers even though the total population of people with DOD clearance, which, as Jill said, makes up the majority of people with clearance, is 4.7 million, the number of folks that are in access um, has been declining. So it's a candidate's market. Hiring is difficult. Recruiters are under the gun to find talent with a record DOD budget. So something's got to give somewhere. I think what we're looking for in 2023 is the fact that this is probably going to be one of the more difficult years ever for hiring and recruiting. There's a lot of volatility uh, in terms of candidates knowing that they can jump from one employer to the next and probably get a pay bump at the same time. So really what we're taking a look at is the supply of cleared talent. Uh, What's the demand, which we're seeing now is pretty much off the charts. Always taking a look at clearance processing times as that that is is a factor. They've come down quarter after quarter for the last number of quarters. So we're heading in the right direction there, but they're still too high to really have a big impact on a positive impact on hiring. And the last thing that we really take a look at is how many candidates are employed versus how many candidates are unemployed with clearance and looking for new work. And based on our recent surveys, we we found out that roughly 92% of candidates with clearance are already employed. So unemployment is incredibly low. And then what we're finding is that when someone does want to make a job change, they don't have to look for long. The way the market is right now and the, the volatility and the amount of backfills and the fact that we've got a record DOD budget, it just means that if you are looking for work, chances are you're not going to be looking for long. So those are kind of the things that we're taking a look at for uh, 2023. Yeah, I think Evan summed it up pretty well. I mean, it is a tough recruiting market just given the number of cleared candidates or cleared candidates wanting to use put their security clearance to work. That's it's always keeps a, such a tight, tight market. So w- one thing that stands out to me is just, I know the military is also working hard at their recruiting and also retaining. So the amount of transitioning service members can also make a difference too, because most of them come out of the military with a security clearance. So it's also marketing to them to see if they want to continue their work in national security, just in a different capacity and use that security clearance that they already have, or if some of them are being pushed to stay in the military if they're having a harder time to, you know, bring in new recruits. So it it is interesting to watch to see also like how things are working around the globe, you know, different threats that are coming up and how much pressure that will put on the 
the defense industry to increase some of the work that they're doing. But yeah, it is definitely it's still a tight market, tough to recruit in. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of dynamics at play here. I think I think the point though about how long it takes to get a clearance is is just a really important one, obviously, to this conversation. Well, uh, you know, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to explain the report. Again, um, my guests today have been Evan Lesser, president of Clearance Jobs, and Jill Hamilton, senior editor at Clearance Jobs. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.